Welcome to Talking Leadership. This is Eric Perez. Thank you for joining me again on our ongoing journey to understand this thing called leadership. I'm very pleased today to welcome a, a guest to the podcast that has worn a number of different hats in his career. And so I'm, I'm very keen to find out what his take on this thing called leadership is. And by way of introduction, he is a industry transformation expert. He is a mentor, speaker, author, and facilitator and is currently the chair of the Australian Transformation and Turnaround Association. Can I welcome to the podcast, Bernie Kelly? How are you, Bernie? Very good, Eric. Great to be here. Thank you for agreeing to do this. And uh, when I reached out to you and I had a look at your profile on LinkedIn, uh, there's just a million questions I've got to ask about your background, but I'm going to keep it to leadership in, in particular. And as a way of starting things off, what was the beginnings in your mind of your leadership pathway? And how did you know that this was something that that you were going to be interested in as a professional undertaking in your career, Bernie? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I've been around the block enough times now to, to reflect it on that a bit, which is good. When I go right, right back, I was part of a large family. I grew up in the in the country where people, where the leaders were sort of very much into they're contributing to the to the local area and sort of um, caring about people and all those sort of things. I think that sort of early early life role modelling has been quite quite important for me. Then different opportunities that have presented themselves over time. I look back and I feel very fortunate to have had great role models, um, good and a lot of good mentoring as well about just um, the importance of engaging people and trying to be the best version of yourself in that. So it's one of those one of those long lifelong journey type of things. I think this it's a very humbling game, the leadership game. You mentioned mentoring. Now it, it's an area that is a of fascination to me for lots of different reasons and not only because mentoring can come in lots of different formats formal informal a combination of those things or through peer networks what do you believe in in your travels bernie that makes mentoring important for someone's leadership development if i can put that weighty question on you yeah, I think there's something about you that um, you need to be, from the mentee perspective, I mean, as the, the person, you, you need to be ready to be mentored. Um, you need to be sort of open. So I think, you know, there's, there's definitely two sides to this equation. I think if you're looking for a mentor, you need to be looking for that. And there, there are people that there's different times where different mentors are way more useful for you. So I think there is a little bit about how um, the right mentors attract, you know, turn up, in the, turn up in your life when you're ready, if that makes sense, rather than it being all about them. Then the other bit is, I think, from a mentor point of view, just how someone who's been on a similar journey and is really willing to sort of share and sort of look for the best for you. And, you know, so there is a generosity, I believe, in that, in that relationship. I've often wondered, and I've wondered out loud, are mentors in the leadership space as in CEOs or if you're working in whether it's a corporate or not-for-profit are those mentors and those relationships different to mentors in the entrepreneurial space and, and why I ask that is in the entrepreneurial space you spend a lifetime developing ideas and the last thing I, I, I guess and I'm, I'm only this is a pure guess here that mentors in that entrepreneurial space would be necessarily cautious about sharing that next brilliant idea that they might have because they may not want to give that away now, and I, and I only say that depending on whether you've been an entrepreneur in the for-profit space and that's all you've ever done versus mentoring in a not-for-profit space where money is not your, your driver. Definitely worked with for-profits and not-for-profits or mission mission sort of generated organisations. I've worked in both spaces and my it, it's taken a while to get really clear on it, but once it's really clear, it's a massive shift. I, I think it's an artificial differentiation that you're drawing and that really the... Um, yeah, as I said, you're really actually helping to help that person get to where they want to go. 
So if you're a good mentor, you're really, it's all about what's coming out of them. What are they trying to achieve? What's important to them? What do they really value? Deeply understanding that and, and plugging into that. And, and really um, people who want to make a difference in the world uh, with an outcome of impact. And if the impact's measured in different measures, that's a technical that's technical detail. So it's almost secondary, really. The primary conversation is about how do you be the best version of yourself to get to be where you want to be. Plugging into that, uh, that's where that's where the best mentors are. So world-class mentors are what more folks about, talk to me, Eric, what are you trying to do? What's your goal? How do I deeply understand that? Let's talk about that. And that, and then and really there's no motivation from the mentor. The mentor is actually just almost like a sounding board going, okay, well, if that's, the, if that's where you're aiming, you know, how do we work backwards from that? What are the things that people are doing that do that you don't do currently, Eric? What's that about? And it's a different conversation. So I, I don't, I think it's an artificial distinction. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. I think you, you've turned me around on the, on my thinking there because I, I, and I have to claim some ignorance here because my key mentors coming up have been through peer networks, not necessarily someone who's been in the game a lot longer than me now i've had a few of those and that they're still currently not formally mentors but these are people that i have the utmost respect for and and like you said i guess if, if i'm looking at this through a clearer lens and i think i am that i often use them as a sounding board and they're quite happy to be that but look i clearly will demonstrate my ignorance in some of these discussions because again the the area of mentorship is fascinating to me because if the driver is not money if it's not anything to do with a power relationship it's more about sharing what you've learned it's a good space to play in and, and you would hope that as as we as leaders and um, those of us in leadership spaces that as you mature into your role as you as you're getting on in years and maybe you're coming to the end of a career that the, the best way to help get better leadership in an industry or in a sector is to share what you've learned with other people without an expectation of getting something back other than that relationship of being able to help someone clearly articulate what they want out of a career, out of a position. And I've seen others that I know go through that and it's made them not just a better leader, but a better person because at times, I've, and I've, I've, again, I can only go off my peer network understanding of this is that you can self-disclose things with a mentor about what your fears and the trials and tribulations of being a leader that you can't necessarily do in any other context yeah, yeah. does that ring true yeah it does ring true okay. I, I do think that um where, where my mental model comes from i guess is that that sort of um things like the money are like lag indicators so they will come eric let's work together they will come type of thing but really the main game the dials you turn are the lead indicators and you know the lead indicators are about you know how true are you to yourself how do you you know how um are you actually aware of the but you know the things that are limiting you and that are holding you back are you actually addressing them that, that and, and are you actually planning with you know are you treating people with generosity are you planning with foresight those those sort of questions are lead lead indicator conversations definitely being commercial people we've got to make sure that you know objectives are being met but they're, they're very much a it's very much a lag indicator part of the game so the real I, I like to help people do massive shifts and those massive shifts happen those massive shifts happen well before the lag indicators of the uh, of the dollars being able to open to a new parts to new services being able to open to bring bringing new strengths into your team those things enable big shifts in the uh, in revenue and profitability and other things but they're, they're very much lag indicators is you know that this isn't mentoring now this is sort of mentoring and strategy we're talking yeah okay <laughs> and, and that that um that makes a lot of sense i guess the 
understanding the the industry the working when you talk about organizational and people transformation that done well i, th- I think that ca- that can open up leaders eyes to other possibilities and uh there's always the trepidation about well what are we going to discover if you do open yourself up to some stuff because um introspection is not something that i think comes naturally to everybody i think it's a learned craft about being better at being introspective as a leader so i'm not talking about in your personal life because some people that and I can say people I know, good friends and family, introspection is like a second nature to them. But for some people I've met, good family and friends, introspection is a very difficult thing to do because I think it, it um, you have to interrogate your own ego and go, well, maybe I've done some shit wrong and that needs to change for the better. Uh, and some people do that well and some people not so well. So, so, let, so let's be really clear. I mean, that, that actually is the enabler of excellent leadership. If you're not able to reflect, if you're not able to reflect, if you're not able to learn on, on you know, hits and misses, I mean, you know, there's some things you do that are great and you're proud of that, that really work for you. And there's some things, and also I think it's really important in this, the world's on the, the world's way more dynamic and there's faster cycles of change now. So even things that I've done in the past that may have worked may not be working now. So I need to be more introspective to, you know, you, you would have heard about those sort of um, weak signals instead of emerging sort of, you know, all of that sort of stuff applies to a leader as well, right? Because I, I might have a pattern that may have been successful, happy days, but as I'm, you know, I, I need to be aware of myself I need to reflect because there will be weak signals that I'm actually that some of those things are not working for me like they used to right so I need to be open to that so I cannot emphasize enough I think that if I if I'm a leader and I'm saying I'm not good at introspection well then maybe that's something I need to start working on yeah, for sure. For sure. Bernie, and I, and me... I say that from a caring space because if you're not being introspective, you're not you're not picking up stuff. It's going to, and that's that increases your personal risk. And as a strategist, that also increases the organisation's risk. So if you're at work talking with a board and you've got a CEO who's not introspective and not hearing, that's a real red flag for the whole organisation. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see where that the, the link to that is. Yeah, interesting. Bernie, let me ask you this: the the purpose of the discussion today is about leadership. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, from your perspective, how do you define leadership? I definitely define leadership as a as a contributor, contributor to society, to the industry you're in, to the organisation you're a part of, to the team. And I think actually that coming from that, there's a lot to, um, I think that modern management has sort of blurred some of the um, useful, useful attributes of leadership. And I think that there's a lot, you know, if we go back to more primitive sort of longer term deeper, you know, elder tribal sort of, uh, you know, tribal elders, sorry, you know, that sort of, that sort of insights about people that are caring about their community, sort of taking a lot of accountability and responsibility. I'm not trying to blame others, trying to actually work with and sort of uh, look after your, you know, your people and be a part of that. You know, there's a lot to, um, there's a lot of deep wisdom in that, you know, that's been part of our humanity for a long time, I think. And there's some that, that is probably, yeah, there's probably more deep versions of leadership in understanding that stuff than understanding some of the basic, you know, 101 management courses that people do um, sometimes. Your experience in leadership roles and organizations and industry often shape how you deal with people. And the one thing that I'm getting loud and clear from the discussions I'm having is that leadership is a people game. It's not It's not a numbers game. It's not, uh, am I meeting the KPI? Because like you said, these are secondary things that if you're doing the leadership stuff well, those things get met or exceeded. It's dealing with human beings. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, human beings are complicated things. And, and uh, if we could predict behavior 100%, 
you wouldn't have need for all of the development that we've got with people because you would know with some certainty where people are going. And yeah, I've, I've heard some horror stories and some really good stories about people that have moved into leadership roles that some were very prepared and knew that it was about people and others that came from technical roles that were promoted to leadership had no idea that the people element would be as critical as it is. And sometimes they've, they've found uh, difficulties with dealing with that. But I, I often see that as potentially organizations not providing enough uh, transitional training to um, upskill a, te- a technocrat. And let, let's call it that. I, I can't think of a better word, but you could be in an engineering firm and you might have 20 years of solid practical engineering experience. No one can top that. That is your expertise. But that skill set does not necessarily translate into dealing with human beings. I think they're two very different needs. And um, what I found in my travels, and I can only limit it to me, so I'm not speaking for every business that exists, but I think we could we could do in general terms more to help with that transition because I think human nature is part of least resistance. We'll put Joe Bloggs in there. He's he's done his 20 years now. It's time for him to lead. That's not a very good strategy if you if you want no, that person no, to be a leader. Yeah. And, and I think um, no, I, I couldn't agree more, Eric. And I think that um, that the leadership capabilities are the capabilities in their own right. So it's interesting um, when you look at it's when you look at a position description of a CEO or a general manager or you know a different manager of area in that position description there are leadership bullet points that are all about people you know providing vision and stuff like that but there's also a lot of even even in a in a high level leadership role there's a lot of the work which is sort of management it's about things right so like budgets are things right capital budgets are things uh investment in technology are things you know so a lot of these things they're, they're a key part of the senior leadership role what we call leadership role but it, but as you but i'm totally agreeing with you that we need to be clear about there's a people capability set and there's a what I call it a management capability set which is about things right so processes process improvement technology all these are things right but but and you need capabilities on both sides to be in what is referred to generically as a leadership role but I think that you've got a really good insight there that there is a specific set of capabilities around the people leadership aspects and they, they are they are the primary one at the end of the day. I can't take credit for that inside being mine alone. I think I've been able to draw this from my uh, conversations. And it's nice to test some of these things with, with guests and like people like yourself that, that have got skin in the game of leadership from slightly different angles. And it, the, the area of interest to me is if you're dealing with transformations in organizations, part of potentially the need for a transformation is leadership that may not be fit for purpose. Now, that is not an attack on the existing leadership cadre. It may not even be an attack on the board or the management committee that runs a business. It's sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And playing guesstimates around leadership positions, I think, is a dangerous it's a strategy i'm not necessarily saying it's a productive strategy and the potential is fraught with danger that you can promote really the wrong people that may not be ready for leadership or may not want it thrust upon them because at at, at times i think people get tapped on the shoulder hey you know it's time for you to step up the person may in their heart of hearts be thinking i'm not either one really interested or two if i am i don't think i'm ready you should listen for those cues if somebody says i don't think i'm quite there it could mean they need some 
training or they need the ability to test a role out before committing to doing it long term because I, I, I have a feeling and, and I can I can base this off of the experience of, of direct family that when you go from a professional technical role into a people role you may be, be being asked to leave that technical role behind and if that's something that you thrive on you're being put into an environment that's not necessarily going to get the best out of you and that's not fair to the person being promoted let alone to the organization because you may get a leader that really doesn't want to be there and an angry leader in an organization or someone who's not committed to the role is as destructive as someone who's an ignorant and or incapable leader as, as so from what i've seen yeah no so it's interesting that i mean so you if you definitely hit on a key topic for me a very very key topic but that that the fact that that conversation is actually a symptom of of some missing gaps in the leadership of that industry and the leadership of that organization and and i think that actually a lot of people refer to a lot of people spend a lot of energy talking about you know these leaders not doing that well who's promoting them who's not training them who's selecting them who actually who who got caught on the go and put them in that spot who doesn't have a strategy that knows where they're going to next and is therefore you know getting the right fit for people a fit for purpose people who has a who has built an organization that's not attractive enough to get the right capabilities into it you know that that actually is these are senior questions and i think that that i i, I totally empathize with what you're saying but it's but can't you see that that's a symptom of senior people not doing their bit first, right? So a lot of my effort is actually about the senior people need to, we need to broaden our eyes. We need to be the ones who are actually owning that issue, right? And I think that actually letting the letting the emerging manager or the new manager own that issue is not, that's not good leadership of an industry. That's not good leadership of, a, of an organisation. And, um, and, and, you know, I'm really sort of, I'm very, very personally committed to more executive conversations around this stuff because, the fact that that is even a conversation is like, well, wait a second, where does that rest? Why did we not, why did, how did that situation come about? We didn't do all these things. That's why. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, be, being able to own that space is, I, I totally agree. No, I wasn't, um, I hope I didn't misspeak. I wasn't saying it's up to the leader that's been promoted to think about that. It really is uh, a systemic thing in the business that if senior management or the senior leadership team, whatever that looks like, is not asking themselves those questions, they're only doing themselves a disservice because if we go back to very core basics 101 about the cost of replacing leaders, if that person leaves or causes some issues, not of their doing, but just because they weren't a good fit, what's it going to cost you to get someone in to replace them and all the rigmarole of getting new staff in? There's a there's a material cost and there's also, uh, I think, a cost to the 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 health of your organisation because if, if your leadership selection processes are not up to snuff, there are going to be consequences and, and you particularly don't want your line staff or your people that you're relying on to do the operational work to be thinking, well, who else is going to come into the revolving door of somebody taking the helm or, or, or making some decisions and I, I guess it comes back to and I'd, I'd really be keen to get your view on this Bernie leadership's a choice yeah at the end of the day you choose to be a leader or you yep. choose not to be and it's a basic summary of where we're at but I think if, if you don't want to be in that space your senior management need to know who they believe to be those on the come up and what training do they need and what do they need to be exposed to because I, I get the feeling again you can correct me because you've been in these organizations you and seeing what's gone right and wrong that maybe sometimes you don't think back to your own career and that you've had opportunities to develop and you if you make the assumption that others in your organization have had those same experiences i think it's a massive assumption it is to massive. Make. yeah 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 absolutely couldn't agree more and, and it's easier 
assumption to make too. I know I've um, I've done that in. So I've worked in, in FMCG. I've worked in like logistics and supply chain. I've worked in um, med med tech, and I've worked in the um, health services. You know, worked in a whole range of different and come, come from the sort of country, so that sort of more the agriculture and the food sort of sectors as well. So all these different sort of sectors. But it's interesting. Your point there is that there there are people that and I've made this. Um, I've picked it up, but but probably you know I wish I would picked it up a little bit earlier sometimes. Talking with like in the health sector, there's people that are that are very very senior. Like they actually may be super smart, maybe a doctor, and they become a chief medical officer. So they're actually on the exec table of a billion plus sort of organisation. And um, but they may not have had as much management experience as a 35 year old in in a different you know. A, who's been dedicated to management because they were they were doing all that medical training and they did all the you know that maybe they were surgeons so they were deep doing surgery for another 15 years and they you know they don't haven't had the time so actually yeah, being a bit more empathetic of that and uh, making sure that you're helping them out quietly bringing up some of those um, more sort of technical management skills is actually key because quite often they have the leadership but it's this there's technical management that they may have missed out on planning, sort of, you know, projecting stuff, connecting some dots around financials and capacity planning and things like that that are that are more sort of technical parts of management. Yeah, that that um that it's an interesting observation. I guess one of the things I would want to know from you, given your experience, is that do you find that there's a commonality across the organizations you've dealt with? And I don't want you to name organizations, obviously, but is there a common thread that there is a lack of being able to identify identify good potential leaders that are on the come up or is that uh, very much a unique thing to each business and some people do it well so sorry not some people some organizations do that well and some necessarily don't because they don't know how yeah i think the there's it's a, it's a timing thing so i think that actually a lot of executives this is right at the right at the very top where do they ask your questions now, if you actually are my leader and you're asking me questions about today, that's where I focus, right? Um, and and that actually becomes a capability set, very reactive. But, but a lot of the things to actually build a good leader can take like a decade, take years. So where is the foresight in your industry? Who's actually building? Who's actually looking at where the industry is going? The fort, that that piece. So it's actually a strategic conversation. So if uh, I find um, working with executives that there needs to be a certain amount of energy in BAU, and there needs to be a certain amount of energy in, well, if here's where the industry is going to be at the end of this transformation, what am I putting in place now to be there? And then in the middle of that, there's a bridging, there's a sort of a middle horizon, which is the bridging horizon. What are the innovations I'm doing? What are the, the experiments I'm doing that are building tomorrow's leaders you know getting results now but building them for that that third piece there and not enough executives in australia are spending enough time across those horizons to make that transition most of us get pulled into the urgency the urgency of the bau and it's not uncommon to find the executives people reporting into the executives the front line all focused on very immediate stuff all very important but then you go but who's who's preparing for next year's stuff the year after that stuff who's who's laying the ground for the future for the future on the other side of this um the world's changing and from an australian point of view so many of our industries are transforming this decade and you know if you were to start surveying that leadership team so how much time do you spend who you know out of this whole organization who is spending time up there and how much time do you think it is and what proportion you know understand you've got to spend a chunk of time massive chunk of time at bau someone needs to be spending some time sort of preparing for tomorrow and who who is that you know and that's an interesting conversation to have at the exec level because quite often it's a bit of an aha moment where they realize that they've unevenly spread their time and they have too much time short term not enough time setting people up 
that's an interesting set of observations and it, it kind of supports something that I've been thinking about for a little while and, and I, I believe it's becoming more of a focus in terms of leadership research is this question around fit for future leadership. What what do we mean by that? And I've, I've had some conversations with some guests around maybe that's not exactly the best question to ask, but I think from from my perspective, asking a uh, an open-ended do our industries have fit for future leadership is not a loaded question. It's quite a strategic one in that what are we doing as an industry to prepare ourselves for what the leadership requirements are of the future? Now, take your point before, you can never plan for every contingency and change is, I believe change is an appetite all leaders need to have. If you don't like change, if you don't like uncertainty, that's part and parcel of, of working in any industry. You've got to be prepared for that in your DNA. But beyond that, what are the trends in your industry to help identify good leaders or what does effective leadership look like? How do you develop it? And what are the pathways and opportunities you can give those either on the come up or those existing leaders to make them even better than where they are at the moment? And people will change jobs. And one of those reasons might be to look for those opportunities in other industries because they think they've hit a ceiling or they can't get to a further role of leadership in the industry that they're in. And that's that's a shame because I reckon that's a way to draw out skill sets from one industry to another. Now, it's a benefit to all of us on a societal level. I, I get that. But from an industry to industry level, I think um, br- the brain's trust of leadership that we develop across different industry sectors using private sector money as well as public sector money, particularly in your ag sectors where you've got governments investing millions in in leader development and identification and promotion of those things. I think it's important to have these these conversations and I am glad I've heard another human being talk about fit for future leadership. I, I, I wouldn't back off from that question, Eric. I, I think it's um I'm deeply, deeply passionate about that question being talked about more often. And the reason is because I care about people, right? Care about our society. And if you look, I mean, there is so many skills that are changing, right, at the moment. And, and it's interesting sort of strategically looking back at the last decade, most of us can remember when we didn't have a smartphone, right? But then all of a sudden your smartphone's stuck to your hand, right? And then you sit with your family and everyone's got one, right? So like that decade, we've gone from no one had smartphones through to everyone has a smartphone, you know, I think it's, I don't know what the exact billion in the world is now, but it's pretty well most people in the world have smartphones now, right? That that, that decade was massive. And, and you think about some of those exponential patterns that happened last decade, and you look, you do not have to be a massive strategist to look forward at this coming decade and see that we've got actually so many exponential trends happening on top of other exponential trends. And we also have some of these longer term trends like you know around the around sort of topics that we haven't been addressing in the last decade they're going to start to happen right so are we building those future capabilities now because i'm a massive believer like um you know using that sporting analogy that if you're sending a team out to win in a sporting environment you actually build match fitness before the game right you do not send that team running out there and if you send out a team that are unprepared they're going to injure themselves they're going to run out half you know going to run out of energy halfway through the game and then you go oh they just were never up to it and that's just unfair because those same people if i'd prepared that you know if we'd worked together we'd actually built up some fitness we talked about some of these things we trained on some skills we'd worked as a team on some smaller tasks they would be match fit for the era and that actually this is this is an urgent conversation that needs to be had a lot more i couldn't disagree with what you're saying in fact i'm uh 
this this is the nerdy part of my personality, but I do look on the net and I look on uh, agriculture sites and the investment of money coming in to develop, identify, promote leadership. It's an ongoing task. And I have a feeling we wouldn't be spending the private and public monies that we do on leadership development if there wasn't a gap or a, a massive need in our industries to get not better, more effective leadership from people. And that is not a experience thing. You don't have to be in a job for a million years to be a good leader. You can develop that in people young. I'm I'm not a big believer in you have to put in your time and suddenly you're going to be the best leader that there is. I I think that that thinking still prevents is pervasive in some industries that we, we need to be really clear i mean so in mastery so yeah. perfect practice makes perfect practice does not make perfect right so you know it's really important that actually people understand that if you actually are trained in the proper skills you can you can become a world-class operator in sports or business but if you actually never never were you know you don't practice with any of the disciplines that are world-class disciplines you're never going to be world-class and you could do it for 30 years so you know it's really important that that distinction is made these conversations look whatever the size of your business in whatever field you're in whether it's for the profit or not for profit sector this these discussions if they're not being had you're only doing your industry sector or the people that you care about a disservice because at some point somebody has to take the responsibility of leadership and you'd hoped you're prepping people for that and and that segue is burning into the next topic area and i'm really keen to get your feedback here leader capabilities now you've given me a couple of windows into some of the things that you think are important i'm not i'm not going to guess because i'm I'm probably going to be wrong but i I need to ask you to sort of dig deep and and come up with for you what do you think are those key leader capabilities that you're seeing that maybe i'll ask it this way that cross industry sector so irrespective of what sector you're in what do you think are the key tick-offs you should be thinking about in terms of of leader capabilities so so i um the, the world is on the move right so there's even even those technical capabilities that i learned back in the day at uni or whatever like that, that you know university education is out of date about five or six years later i think and so so really anyone who's in a senior role is probably working off out of date education the way that the world is so knowledge is doubling every you know like it's actually every sort of day or so at the moment i know um 100 1900 it was actually took 100 years for data and information to double at the turn of the, tw- the last century 20 years ago it was sort of was about it's measured in years and now it's actually measured in days right so that's with all the data that's exploding you know you think of internet of things you think about all the data being followed whether it's agricultural supply chains whether it's chemical supply chains whether it's just data inside social media etc that, that, that is doubling now at a pace which is absolutely massive. So keeping up with that requires a massively change. I call it change fit, but you know, like that learning, that learning attribute is a fundamental for a leader now. So the four things I'd call out as being key points is actually um, is self-awareness. You know, am I actually aware of my own uh, default mechanisms, my patterns that are going on in my mind? Am I able to actually, am I able to intercept them and sort of do anything with them? Um, self-accountability, do I actually hold myself accountable for the outcomes that are happening around me? Do I, do I make things happen or do I let the power be with others and blame others? But, you know, so that's two of the key ones. I, I think um, in this massively dynamic world and more complicated and complex than it's ever been, that understanding other perspectives is so critical. You know, me sitting in my perspective is useful, but really, you know, what's your perspective and what's someone 
someone else's perspective and, and being able to see and understand and learn from other perspectives is is so powerful because that's where options come from right i mean i can be stuck in a corner if i can add to my perspectives i get out, out of that and then the other is actually you know really just the um how do we sort of keep the energy of that sort of going so you know sort of really sort of digging into my curiosity you know, do i am i keen to understand the world am i keen to understand what the barriers are today am i keen to understand what the new people in my team are driven by am i keen to understand what the customers are looking at now am i keen to understand the technology that's coming into the industry am i keen to understand the, the you know the technology that hasn't yet transformed my sector but could you know, the, those those four things drive a change fit environment where I can hopefully be more open and keeping up with what's going on in, in my sector. Couldn't disagree with that list. The, the, the one that stands out probably the most for me is, uh, um, I, I will term it something different, but I think you might agree, lifelong learning, the yeah. that, that hunger to keep learning either professionally or on the job or just keeping pace with what you're doing. So my nine to five gig is in the advocacy space in the seafood industry. Now I have to keep up with that, but I'm also part of an organization that is having public conversations about a whole range of issues. So I'm in the thick of it. And when you're in the thick of it, I think you're more open to ideas because as an advocate, I'm trying to get the best for my people. I don't care what government's doing. I'm trying to do yeah, the best yeah, yeah. for my own. And yep. I think there are lots of motivators to ping that need to learn. I reckon it's a crass statement, but the day you decide to stop learning is the, is the day you need to give up what you're doing and just retire or just don't interact yep. with other human beings. Because um, if, if what you're saying is true, and I have no doubt that it is, that if information is doubling and increasing on a daily basis, I think the skills of a future leader, something that's come up in a lot of the discussions I've had online and offline is you have to be able to learn how to pick out the nugget of gold and truth and verifiable data quickly and then tease out the other noise that comes in. And that can be a very difficult thing to do because I think human nature is the easiest, most emotive message is the one that I might necessarily go with, but that's not necessarily what you need to drive a better decision. And for executives, for people that are are being paid to think about critical things and then work in in sectors that are critical to the economy, you know, in the medical field, like you talked about before, in areas COVID-19 comes to mind, that you want the best people that are thinking the most laterally as well as thinking about what is the impact of my decision making and that sometimes I think that get, gets left to one side and I can understand that because if you're in an operational focus as most leaders are and then you're asked to come out and think macro perform micro think macro sometimes you that balance gets out of whack and I think you would be the first to to maybe agree with the following statement you probably see that when you're tra- helping and organizations to transform all the time that whatever that balance that's needed is out of whack for one reason or the other is that is that yeah, does yeah, that ring yeah. true no it does ring true and it's, there's an interesting piece in that that i think um that i'd probably call out sort of a strand out of that which is that actually a massive strategic risk for us as individuals in our career and also for the organizations if we've got any leadership roles is is about this whole learning and unlearning right? because the world is moving that fast Learning is, you know, we all remember how hard it is to learn if you go back to school, you know, all the things that we learned. And that was an intensive learning period, right? But then you do, and early in your career, intensive learning periods. But if you're talking to a leader, anyone probably over, say, let's say 
35, pick an arbitrary age, right? And that person from 35 onwards knows a lot of stuff, right? We know a lot of stuff. We've got it that we're actually doubly challenged. And this is why it's a really important conversation because I have to actually be so aware that I'm unlearning and relearning, right? So when I was 12, right, I, I was learning new stuff, hard, hard work, right? But when I'm 35, 45, 55, I'm actually got to unlearn stuff that, that did work once. And it's everything from, you know, people assuming, like maybe you and I worked together on an intensive business case and we understood some massively specific details and this did make, this made no sense at all. But since then, you know, the price of shipping's doubled, uh, risk of this has gone up, that's changed, this changed. All those things are different. And that me hold, I have to unlearn all that deep work I did and look at the current situation. And yeah, you, and you can look at that, you know, there's assumption after assumption. And, and I think that actually is one of the risks that needs to be put onto most of our leadership conversations. Am I actually not only am I a learner, can I unlearn and relearn? I never really gave that a lot of attention is that, yeah, we are learning to relearn. I can't think of a better word, dump some shit that's not of any use anymore to find the things that are critical to help us make a decision. I'm, I'm being more and more convinced that the end game for good leadership is being able to make a good decision based on the best available information. Now, that doesn't always happen. And sometimes really good intuitive leadership and entrepreneurship is about taking a risk based on a gut feel. So you've you've taken all the data in that you can and the decision is partly a guesstimate and partly based on what you know is going on. And I think decisions range in that field from very informed to very not informed and everything in between. And that I think that's a reflection of what life is really like. And and if if So, so, so so the red flag on that conversation though is that sometimes you hear leaders giving themselves the excuse right that these things were unknowable that you know they talk about black swan events have you heard that phrase yes i have right so some people use that phrase as like oh how was i going to know that and you go well if you'd actually been listening if you'd been sort of uh you know asking people you would have known that right you could have known that it wasn't unknowable and and i i think there's actually going to be with, with that doubling of information piece conversation we're going a bit before there'll be organizations that know stuff and there'll be people that don't know stuff right and and really the fact that if you're in the group that don't know stuff you should there's no excuse for that that just meant that you didn't set up to know stuff because you know if you compare to like an amazon that they're going to know all about you right if you're a customer of amazon they're going to know all about you then you compare to some other company and they're going to go oh my god eric changed behaviors and i didn't really i didn't see it coming okay and i think that excuse piece is a real that's a real red flag for a lot of us in you know, in, in, in our part of the world, we, we're sort of going, oh, we're not looking outside enough. And, you know, but it's, it really should not be an excuse. It's not a, I think that's poor, you know, it's a, that's a gap in our leadership to, um, you know, to allow that to happen to ourselves and uh, allow that to happen to our team. There are some events that happen that are really not knowable. COVID-19 is a, is, a, is a classic example. Now, one thing I've seen from organisations trying to uh, navigate this new area and what I've been hearing and seeing and, and LinkedIn is a good window for some of this is COVID-19 has taught us all a lesson around change is change is, is a constant and that unfortunately when something like a pandemic hits there are going to be changes that you're going to have to address and you can't run away from what's coming and uh, I, I have a feeling and, and uh, 
I, I could be more empathetic to this, that there'll be some organizations that just don't have the capacity to know how to deal with what's coming and will either learn, and going back to your the discussion we had around, there's information out there, they'll either learn from their competitors and try to be better, or they'll buy some knowledge in to ask someone who doesn't have any skin in the game to say, what can we do to be better? I think that's a healthy conversation to have, particularly now that service delivery and what we perceive to be a typical job has been knocked on the head with COVID. So what's a typical full-time employee look like? That is not the same. I don't think I'd get the same response that I get now that I would have got pre-COVID. Now, I'm not trying to catastrophize. I'm just I'm just suggesting out loud because I think there'll be pontification about COVID-19 for decades to come. I think it's asked some questions around what does the world of work look like for people and having a mobile workforce, a work from home workforce and different ways to engage with people is, and I hate this term, but I will use it, a new normal for how we operate our businesses. Have you got a view on that, Bernie? Yeah, so there's, there's a few things in what you sort of said, Eric, so just thinking about it, though. Sure. So, so one, one part is I, I do think look, there, there are definitely factors that, that are yet unknown to me and I get caught by them and all that sort of good stuff. I, I think my point before was just making sure that you don't um, allow that to be excuse not to be a learner and have weak signals and, and see stuff. Because one of the fascinating things is that most of these changes and let's say the digitalization of the workforce as an example, when you take the longitudinal view, most of the most industry transformations like that really happen over about a decade. So like people sort of the proactive people, the people who just see it and start working on it, even if it's now, right? If I see it, it is going to change and I start working with my people and I work with my um, with the technology we've got and we try and work towards a way. It's the people who that actually don't do any proactive work when they see those signals. That is my red flag. Do you know what I mean? Like people go, oh, we got caught out. And you go, mm, well, if you'd listened, if you'd spoken... If you've done the homework, you know, you had years because the reality is that a lot of these shifts, they seem like they happen really suddenly. But, you know, even this, even adjusting to this COVID period is going to play out over a period of time. You know, so if I do not, if I'm a leader who's going to debate it and ignore it for the next couple of years, well, then maybe I might get caught out, right? But if I start having open conversations now and sort of talk about what can work, we play experiments, we measure stuff, we talk with things. You know, and we and we co-create what that new place is going to look like. We're we're a lot more sustainable, a lot more robust at the end of our at the end of the adjustment period that we're going through. We're living in uh, strange times, but they're interesting times as well because if we can get a better outcome for our workforces and a realization that through a pandemic or, or or any other kind of natural disaster that might befall a region, that being flexible in how you allow people to work and understanding that that has some meaning for your business is an important thing to be thinking about being able to now say again going back to your red flag around the the black swan stuff and saying oh i I couldn't see it coming we've seen now what we need to do potentially to adapt you make a choice to do that or not and engage with your environment and if you choose not to do it there are consequences from not engaging with change that i think is difficult and I, i can't help back going back to as human beings predictability is something that we crave not constant change and um if you're talking then about leaders it's being able to identify where those things are coming and to navigate uh, the path 
that is going to get you to an ultimate outcome, whether that's a for-profit outcome or not. And I'm, I'm not saying all industries are for-profit, but from the vista of people, the vista of, of industries and the diff, sorry, the different industry sectors that I've been privy to in these discussions about what is needed, they're all very different. So people working in leadership roles in local government will, will have some challenges that are not unique to them, but are unique to them that you will not find in other sectors and vice versa. I've, I've had the experience of working in all three levels of government and now for an industry sector. And I can see where the commonalities are, but I can see where the unique differences are. But what's required that's the same from leaders in all of them is to be a contemplative, reflective individual that is looking for answers to difficult questions and being able to have difficult conversations with serious people about what does this mean? And these are conversations that aren't easy to have and they're they're necessary ones to have because there's a lot riding on good leadership if it's not there. And again, I come back to this idea of fit for future leaders. And I think you would be seeing some of this or a lot of this in organizations that are going through transformation because I would assume that you would find some good stuff in a transformation process and some very bad stuff and everything in between when you're going through a process. Yeah. So, so it's interesting, you know, the the point you're making about like the leader, I I think it's actually just a leadership duty to be looking at looking forward, right? Because, because in an organization, let's say could be thousands, but let's say, you know, this um, just for the sake of this number, there's 10 of us. I mean, a group of us are going to actually have our whole job has got to be getting stuff done today. Right, and that's most of an organisation. But there's so there's not very normally in a big organ, whether it's a small or a big organisation, there's not many people left who have the time to be looking forward. Bernie, last topic area that I'd like to bring up, and I'm really keen to hear what you've got to say here because I, I can't pick this one: the nature versus nurture debate. Are leaders born or are they made? Yeah, this is an, this is an interesting question, right? By the time we meet them, sort of coming into the workforce, they've already had lots of nurture. Right. So I'm a massive believer that um, all of us have like an essential essence that's pretty that's pretty impressive, like just as humans. Right. And like every every one of us is a human being with that brings something pretty special to the world. Right. But then we we do go we do go through a school process. We do go through parenting. We do go through um, university education or early management training. And all of these things are actually part of the nurture process before before employers are looking at them. So, so I, I think that actually, yeah, that a lot of people by the time they get into early employment can already have a lot of baggage, right? So, so it's quite interesting being aware of that. And, and it, even, even high-performing high performing executives, when you're actually really understanding yourself, you do have to go back through all of that stuff because some of the patterns that you carry through in your executive career can go right, right back. So I, I think that, that actually that the nurture ends up sort of clouding our best version of ourselves and that actually trying to get clearer and deeper understanding of the best version of ourselves probably means unpacking a lot of those experiences we've had over the years. Some of them worked at times and some of them didn't. And yeah, there's a, the fascinating thing is that, that a bad experience that I hold on to is not useful for me in the future, but also a, an amazingly positive experience that I hold on to may not be useful for me in another situation in the future. So it's sort of, you know, respecting that, respecting the person that's deep down, but also um, being able to see those different experiences and the patterns, whether they're useful or not, is, um, is where it's at. Bernie, this has been a fantastic conversation. Bernie, before I go, if you can for me, for the listeners, a bit of a plug about what you do and what services you provide and if they want to reach out, how do they contact you, mate? 
Well, firstly, I just want to say I'm so impressed with the work you are doing, Eric. I think um, keep it, keep it going. I think that you know we we have the the more the more conversations about leadership, the more I think that it just brings it to the top of our the top of our thinking, and that actually is a such an important thing for all of us, just to be sort of. It's, it's great to have a conversation like this and just to be back and forth and reflecting and digging around. And I think, you know, a lot of us talk about all sorts of topics in our life that, um, you know, more people talking about leadership, I think, would be very, very useful for our society and our economy and all those sort of things. So, you know, I, I just want to commend you, mate. I think it's great. Great what you're doing here. I could not appreciate that more, mate. That's uh, should get you on the payroll to help promote <laughs> the podcast, mate. That was brilliant. But uh, definitely in that space, in that consulting space, Bernie, give give if so, you can so, the so, listeners so, a bit of an update about what you do, mate. Yeah, so so I, I want to throw out a few things that are just for free, right? That I that I have access to that I can share with people. One one is if you are in a in an industry going through sort of transformative times, um, which hey, who isn't? Or you're actually a transformation professional, sort of working for. The, um, the executives on that, please check out the Oz TTA, the Australian Transformation and Turnaround Association. I just think it, I think it's a really important community for uh, for intentional uh, leaders who are trying to shape a better world. And then yeah, that, so that's and, and that's you can that's a, um, a readily available thing. That's not mine, but I definitely encourage it strongly. Another thing is actually from from my own point of view, I do hold I do have regular webinars around uh, what I call chiefs of transformation. So that is actually um, the the industry leaders and uh, company leaders and, and public service leaders that are actually sort of accountable for leading their industry through that transformation or their organization through that transformation. And I, I have a program sort of dedicated to that, that I have that regularly rolling. So um, if you are interested in as an executive in sort of dialing up your um, capabilities around change fitness and being a sort of chief in this sort of challenging transformative periods. I have those regular programs. And then and also actually just working with with teams on sort of change fitness, um, which again can be I'm more than happy to share um, sort of leadership team sort of presentations around that because I think there's some really important things that, that even just an awareness point of view, that's probably something to easily approach me on. And I've got um, my website, berniekelly.com or um, or my LinkedIn profile. I'm very welcome to be meeting and connecting with other people through that as well. Bernie, thank you for your time. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. As always, thank you for joining me and we'll catch you all on the next podcast.